I hope and pray that nobody ever goes through what I went through because I have never told anyone what really happened and what it was like for me. It was really bad, really, really bad. And I think it was an incredible gift of love that God gave me to do that. My faith was materialism. What I believed in all of my PhD friends and all of my friends believed that if you can't measure it, see it, weigh it, count it, it simply doesn't exist. So when I was dying, people asked me if I prayed and it's like, I'm trying to explain to you like the last thing in the world I would have done was pray. I whether I would have sooner jumped off the Eiffel Tower than pray. What, what an absolutely silly notion. I asked for morphine. I asked for a doctor because the pain of the uh, hole in my duodenum, which was leaking hydrochloric acid and other delightful digestive juices, I was dissolving myself. I was digesting myself on the inside. And if you want to know what that feels like, get a red hot coal out of a fire and stick it inside your gut. I'd seen two doctors in emergency and they were very nice, but they didn't do anything. They just sent me over to surgery. They told me I had an hour to live. That's what they told me. And that I would be having surgery right away. So they sent me to surgery and unbeknownst to them, I'm sure there wasn't anybody to do the surgery. So that's why I didn't get any meds. You know, people tell me, well, the reason why you had your near-death experience was because of all the narcotics you've been given. And like, I begged for anything and I was given nothing for 10 hours, nothing. What, what about nothing, don't you understand? When the nurse came in and said that they were unable to locate a doctor, that's when I told my wife, I said, tell my parents that I love them. And I said, goodbye, tell my kids. And she was, crying like I'd never, I'd actually never seen anybody in my life cry like that. I mean, she was crying from the, the soles of her feet all the way up and just shaking and throbbing. And, and she sat down and I looked at her and I said, time for me to go. So I checked out, you know, really, really easy. I'm, you know, I, I found it the easiest thing in the world to die. I was having a lot of trouble breathing. For the last several hours, all I was doing was trying to breathe. I had enough sense to know that if you stopped breathing, that would be a bad thing. I just, all I had to do was just stop doing that and I went unconscious. I woke, I was standing there. I felt absolutely physically more real, more alive and completely healed than I'd ever known. So the first thing I did was I did a reality check, which consisted of taking my hands and I felt myself from the top of my head felt myself all the way down, right down to my feet. And it's like, feeling good. Matter of fact, feeling really good. So then I started to do a sensory check. I know it sounds very rational, but thats I was a very rational person. I can hear the hum of the fluorescent lights in the ceiling, hear them humming really loudly. And then I looked and I realized that in, in our, you know, I was an art teacher, so like in our vision, we see 180 degrees with two, if you have two eyes. Well, I was seeing way more than 180 degrees, and I'm going, ooh, that's so weird. And then I also, then I checked my depth of field, which is, you know, like if you focus on something far, your near is out of focus and vice versa. I was going like, I have complete depth of field. I mean, I, I am focused on everything. 
And then I'm like, touch. And like, I'd already touched my body and it's like, whoa, whoa, like really, you know, very sensitive. And then I like, so I'm doing the bottoms of my feet and like I could read the texture of linoleum with through my feet. And I'm going like, wow, this linoleum's like so cool. So I'm looking around the room and my wife's on the other side of the bed. And then I notice in the bed, mostly covered by a sheet, but the head not completely covered was a person. And I looked at the person who was facing my wife away from me. And to my horror, it bore a remarkable resemblance to me. Now I knew rationally that that wasn't me because I was standing there and like, you can't rational people know you can't bifurcate, you know, I mean, that's crazy stuff. That's schizophrenia to say that like you were standing over yourself, looking at yourself, right? Like, I'm not crazy. I'm not nuts. That's not me. So then I'm thinking, how come it looks so much like me? Because could it be a coincidence? No, that would, that's ridiculous. So I'm trying to think of a scenario. So what I came up with, which I realized was absolutely ludicrous, was is that the um, French hospital personnel had uh, made a wax replica of me. I realized one, they didn't have the time to do that. And that's like, takes a lot of skill because it was a very good replica. And three, like what would be their motive? You know, I mean, why would they go to all that trouble and expense? Um, yeah, I mean, looking back was funny at the time, it was very disturbing. So it made me angry. I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm going towards anger. And then I tried to communicate with my wife, her head down and tears running down her cheeks. And I get no response. And it was like infuriating. One of her techniques to punish me when we were not getting along was to ignore me. So I'm figuring she's really, really mad at me for what I have done to her and ruined her life. And so I turned to my roommate, Monsieur Florent, who was a 68 year old, super kind, sweet, sick Frenchman. I tried to talk to him. He looked through me like he couldn't see me, which of course he couldn't. I started yelling and screaming at him and no response. And now I'm really agitated, very, very agitated. Yeah, so I heard people outside the room calling me by name, which I thought was strange because I was in France and um, surprisingly the people in France speak French and Howard is not a French name. They're speaking English, Howard, you know, come with us. So went over the doorway of the room and uh, there were people out in the hallway and the hallway was gray, and like a really, really bad black and white TV picture, very fuzzy which was weird because the room was so ultra clear and the hallway was very indistinct. And there was these people out there in the same common. I said, are you from the doctor? I'm sick. I'm supposed to have surgery. I've been waiting like, you know, all day. And, and they said, we know all about you. Um, we've been waiting for you. Hurry up and come with us. So after some convincing, I became sure that they were hospital people to take me to surgery. And considering the treatment that I'd had in this hospital up to this point, the fact that they wanted to walk me to surgery made perfect sense. I mean, I never questioned that. And so we went on a long journey. Hell is um, separation from God. And the only thing that makes hell bad is um, the people there. 
God doesn't make hell bad. If they were nicer to each other, it'd be a lot more pleasant down there than it is. In their separation from God, it also means all the good things that God gives us, like um, there's no birds or butterflies or flowers or sunshine or rain or wind. There's no candy. There's no chocolate cake. There's no ice cream. It's pretty bleak. What psychologists have found when they cage a bunch of animals in a cage for a period of time, they start gnawing on each other because that's the only gratification they get. In prison movies, there's a concept of the new fish. When a, you know, when a new inmate comes into the prison, like everybody's excited because they want to initiate them, which usually means um, brutal rape and other things, right? So I was new fish. So hundreds of them had their way with me. The physical part is awful. But the emotional part is much worse than the physical part. You know, I, you know, when it was happening and after it happened, it's like, how could they want to hurt me that much? Why do they hate me that much? You know what I mean? That's, that's the part I couldn't, I, and I, and, and I, and I can't understand because you know what? I, I know why now because they don't care. They, they, weren't, they weren't doing it to me personally. It was just, I was new fish. And when they were done with me, um, by being done with me, it's like I was no longer responsive, physically and emotionally uh, too far gone. You know, the term that I like to describe was I was roadkill. In that place, I heard a voice that said, pray to God. I literally, heard, I mean, I literally heard a voice say, pray to God. I don't know who said that. I don't know where it came from. It kind of felt like it was like here coming out of my chest. And I thought, what a stupid idea. I don't believe in God. I don't pray. And the voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I don't know how to pray. I haven't prayed since I was a kid. You know, it's like, I don't pray. I'm not a prayer. Forget it. And the voice said, pray to God, real strong. And I thought, okay, what would it look like for me to pray? And so I'm thinking, okay, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States. Oh, no, no, no. Four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth in this continent a new nation. No, 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 no. Oh, man, I can't think, you know, like, I mean, I'm, I'm remembering things I've memorized because, of course, from my perspective, 38-year-old 30 genius college professor, department head, I thought prayer was something you memorized when you were a child. So I'm trying to remember, and like I finally come up with the, I come up with like the Lord is my shepherd, <gasps> and I'm so excited. I murmured it. I, I mean, I wasn't. I murmured it out of excitement that I actually remembered something that sounded like a prayer. And upon doing that, the people that were still around me, which they were no longer um, interacting with me because I had become tedious and uninteresting. They became very angry. And they said to me in language that's the worst language I've ever heard in my life. There is no God, nobody can hear you. And now we're gonna really, really hurt you. Like basically telling me what we did before was nothing compared to what we're gonna do to you now. Because they couldn't bear like my most miserable, pathetic little prayer. 
And then I thought of some other things, like our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I mean, I was only I was only remembering like phrases. I couldn't remember like a whole verse. I'm saying this stuff, and it's really making them angry. And the thing that I liked was um, all this time I'd been defenseless. Is no matter how hard I had fought to fend them off me, finally I find something they really don't like. And the other thing I noticed that the more I said these things, and I was shouting them. I was shouting him in anger. The more I said these things, the more it drove them away. And I could, I could, we're in peach black, so I can't see anything, but I can, I can hear them retreating and retreating and retreating. So like, yippee, one, yippee, skippy. I'm like, I'm, I'm really making him mad and I'm driving him away. So I'm like letting him have it with this stuff. And I'm just repeating this stuff over and over again. And eventually I realized the only thing I can hear anymore is me and I can't hear them. So like I become quiet and I listen and I listen carefully. And I know some some place somewhere they're out there, but I don't know where, you know. But they're far, and that's good. And then I um, think about my situation and realize I'm stuck because I can't crawl, I can't move, I can't go anywhere, and I don't know where I am. I mean, I didn't have to debate this. I knew that um, I was not alive and I was not in the world. Where I grew up in Massachusetts, we had septic systems and cesspools. So what I came up with is that I had gone down the toilet and through the plumbing into the cesspool. And I don't know if how into cesspool um, theology you are, but there's some um, layers in the cesspool. Like at the top is floating the unprocessed stuff, and the deeper you go, the more it gets processed, and then it all becomes liquefied. And eventually then goes out into the leaching but that's what I, I i was trying to think of what part of the septic system i was in i knew i knew that my life was filth garbage i knew that i was a selfish ass i knew that i mean in the world i never would have admitted that to you if you if, if you and i had met if you'd met me as uh, howard storm professor howard storm you know at northern university get you to admire me and be a fan, you know? All, all, as you, all as you would be to me is someone to support my ego. I, I did my own life review and what I concluded was that, I know this sounds funny, but I graded myself after I went through my life and I realized that I was basically um, F and Ds in every department. My relationship with my father, my mother, my sisters, my students, my friends, my wife, my kids. I just gave myself F and D's up and down the line because all I could see was all the ways that I had failed. And I felt real, real bad. I realized that I, I belonged in the place that I was and that I was stuck there and nothing was ever going to change it. And that the only way that I could um, have any kind of an existence in that place was to somehow pull myself together and to become more vicious than they were. In other words, before you got a chance to bite me in the neck, I'll rip your head off. That would be our greeting. You know, you go for my neck and I rip your head off. And I thought, I'd rather not exist than live like that. Because I, I'd rather not be than be one of them. So now I'm in a dilemma because here I am, there's no way out. I have no way, no way of knowing how Yet, they're going to come back, and I can't, I can't count on this, this prayer bit, which was quite insincere. You know, I mean, it wasn't from my heart. It was just like, it worked. It was, 
but I mean, how, how much, how long is that going to work for me? You know? And I went into the deepest, deepest despair. I mean, here I am in the cesspool and now I'm, I mean, emotionally, spiritually sinking into a deeper hole. My little mind's working, 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 trying to come up with something. It comes up with like a eight or nine year old child sitting in Sunday school singing, Jesus loves me. It wasn't the idea. The, the words were good, but it wasn't the words. It was like, when I was a little kid, I believed in like this God slash Superman. And when, you know, the alligators and bears that live under your bed that are trying to bite your toes, remember them? When they would start snapping at my toes at night, you know, in the middle of the night, I would pray to Jesus and they would go away. And then, the, and then, of course, I'm having voices in my head saying, you don't believe this silly stuff, you know, like that, you know, you were a child, you're an idiot. You know it's not true. And then the other voices were saying, why would he care about you? You've done nothing but use his name as a cuss word for the past 20 years. You know, like, you know, he's not going to listen to you. Even if he did exist, he hates your guts. You know, I mean, I get so I'm mean, having all this stuff going on. And then, like, finally, I'm like screaming in my head, like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And I just yell out into the darkness, pure desperation. Jesus, please save me without the faintest idea whether there was a Jesus or not a Jesus or whether he liked me or didn't like me or, you know, I mean, I had, I had nothing except this faint hope that it might be true. This impossibly bright light, like if it was actually light light, it would have, it would have burned me. I was like, you know, so overwhelmed by the brightness of the light and its beauty. And then like, I looked down at myself and I saw gore and I was like, ew, I had been eviscerated. Okay, um, not pretty. And out of the slide came hands and arms and he touched me. And when he touched me, three things happened. One is all the gore just started to disappear and I became whole. The other thing that happened was I was filled with ecstasy instead of being um, simply just nothing but pain from head to foot. Now all of a sudden that the pain goes away and I'm filled with ecstasy and Lastly, and most importantly, um, I experienced a love that I had never known that existed. And unfortunately, I haven't found any language yet that can begin to describe it. He picked me up. He held me real tight. Thing when he held me, I knew that there was some, besides all this healing and love and all that, that he really, really liked me a lot. Matter of fact, I'm his favorite person in the whole universe. I have to add, unfortunately, you are too. And, and he likes me. I mean, he doesn't dislike me. He's not, he's not, you know, he's not mad at me. You know, he's happy. So I'm holding on to Jesus. I'm crying, happy cry. And he's um, rubbing my back. He gave me a nice, very soft, tender, back rub and we take off just like flying in a helicopter except it was just Jesus and me without the helicopter all as I'm aware of because like I've got my face buried in his chest and neck was we're going we're really going and actually I'm a, I'm a little bit scared because I'm actually thinking so I hope he doesn't let go of me <laughs> so we're moving and um I'm trying to get my act together because I'm feeling, I, I've put a lot of slobber on him from my nose and mouth, a lot, a lot of slobber. And I'm feeling bad about that because I don't have a hanky to clean him up. 
And, um, uh, okay, so I'm trying to get together. So I get enough together and I, and I look and I see like we're moving towards a world of light and all around the world of light, like a bazillion little lights going in and coming out and there's all this activity. And I had this gigantic, uh-oh, the God that I said wasn't, we're going to his house. We're going into his territory. I mean, I know that. I just know that somewhere in that big galaxy of light, if you will, there's God in that. And we're headed towards it. And I am the biggest idiot in the whole world. And they probably hate me, you know, because of what I've said and done. I think to myself, he's made a terrible mistake. I don't belong here. And with that, eek, we come to a stop and we are outside of the world of light, which we could call heaven because that's what it was. I call it home. He spoke to me for the first time telepathically and he said, we don't make mistakes. You belong here. And I thought, how do you know what I thought? I didn't say that. Can you hear what I think? And he laughed and he said, I know everything you've ever thought. And I thought, I feel real uncomfortable with you knowing everything I've ever thought because I've thought things that I don't want you to know that I thought. And immediately I thought of something that I didn't want him to know that I thought about, which is I thought of a breast. I've always, I've always been a boob guy. And you know what he did? He laughed and laughed and laughed. He thought it was really funny. And I thought, oh, he thinks I'm funny. And he said, yeah, you're real funny. And I was like, he thinks I'm funny because nobody thinks I'm funny. I mean, like, I have a wicked sense of humor, but it's like, it's New England. It's very dry. You know, I make like a lot of jokes and people look at me like, what's your problem? So like we started talking and he kind of interrupted our conversation, which is all telepathically. Um, he had a, a young male voice. He said, I got a bunch of people I want you to meet. And so he called out with tone, musical tone. And they came and there was a group of them and they formed a survey circle around us. And he said, they've recorded your life and they want to show you your life. So we pr proceeded to watch my life. And that was a, what I would refer to as a holographic projection of me interacting with people. And the interesting thing was that there were props, but usually not a background, only when the background was appropriate. We got tables and chairs and a floor and the rest just isn't there at all would go into a scene and like see what happened to the person after we, what happened to them after we'd interacted or what they were feeling would feel what they were feeling i was more manipulative and detached from people and jesus and the angels clearly shared their um, unhappiness with the direction that i was going not in a cruel way just like ooh, it's really disappointing and I felt their feelings and I felt bad that I was so such a disappointment. They weren't angry, they weren't mad, they were just disappointed. What I ultimately learned from the whole thing was that we were created to love one another. That's our job, that's the curriculum, that's the whole, the whole thing in a nutshell and that's the only thing that matters. And what I was doing was moving away from that. I mean, I had a career, I had a wife, I had kids, I had a house, I had cars, you know, blah, 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 I had all that. I had the American dream and I was going somewhere and I won prizes at art shows and I got tenure and I was a full professor and I, you know, blah, blah, blah. And none of that mattered. And they let me know that none of that mattered at all. Matter of fact, it was a, 
it was very surprising disappointment because I'd say, look, look here. I got, you know, I'm a full professor. I'm 26 years old, full professor. I'm never, nobody gets that, you know? I'm like, yeah, well, that is of no consequence at all. Look, as, look here where you ignored a student who really, really needed a friend. And then they would feel so sad for that student. And it's good. And as the life review went on into my adult life, I was begging them to stop it. I'm like, I got it. Enough. No, no, no. And they'd say, no, you got to watch. So we went through the whole thing. It was uh, brutal. And I made them very disappointed and very sad. But I got the point. It was real simple. We were here. We were supposed to love each other. And I completely missed it. I thought... My life was about being the most famous, wealthiest, important, powerful person that I could possibly be. I mean, I wanted it all. When we were over with that whole thing, um, he said, do you have any questions? And I said, yeah, I got a million questions. So I asked him everything I could think of to answer. And he answered everything. I've never told anybody everything because some of it gets like a little esoteric. And, um, you know, I've gotten in trouble for stuff. I mean... I mean, I've had people tell me that I'm the devil and I'm an apostasy and I'm, um, I've had been accused of things just, I'm just like real simple stuff. Like for example, I mean, I'll give you an example of like, um, when babies are either aborted or stillborn or die when they're very young, um, they just get another chance at life. And, and people have been furious with me and call me all kinds of names because Jesus told me that. And it's like, I'm sorry if you don't like Jesus plan that. No, he doesn't throw babies into hell. He not only told me, but he showed me, and we visited some places that the universe is full of um, intelligent beings and uh, varied life forms. And that, in fact, this world is one of the lowest of them all. There's a lot more spiritual, kind, good, loving, and intelligent beings all over the universe. I asked Jesus, and so what happens to people when they die? And he said, and he said, it's a really big problem because um, he said, usually when people die, they don't know they've died because like when they were dying, they were in suffering. And when they die, the suffering's over. And so they feel really good. So they think they've gotten well and they don't know that they've died at all. It's funny because people are terrified of dying. It's like, no, dying is really great when you're not doing well. You know, ran out of stuff to say. So I said, oh, okay, I want to go to heaven. And he's like, oh, uh, actually, you got to go back to the world and try and um, you know, have the life that you were created to be in the first place. So we had a huge argument. People always say, like, argument. I go, yeah, I argued with him as much as I could possibly argue. I said, why would you send me back to the world? Because it's full of cruel, mean people, and it's just terrible existence down there. And he said, the world, he said, that's true. There's lots of cruel, mean people in the world. He said, there's also very loving, beautiful people. And he said, what's in your heart is what you'll find. And if you have love, in your heart, you will see the love in other people. If you have beauty in other people, you'll see the beauty in them. He said, it's what's in you is what you're gonna find. And you know what? Amazingly, he was right again. I've been doing this thing for over 30 years since, well, 33 years now, since 85. And yeah, if you seek love and beauty, you find love and beauty. If you seek cruelty and ugliness, you find cruelty and ugliness. But I'm telling you, the, the love and the beauty is in everywhere and in everyone, including people that do not strike you immediately as either loving or beautiful.
when I was recovering in what they um, called the recovery area at the hospital in Paris, the room was kind of dark. It was daytime, but the, the lights weren't on. The room lit up. And this young man, beautiful young man, in his like mid or late 20s, it appeared, blonde, wearing hospital scrubs, pale green scrubs with the V-neck scrub sleeves and sneakers. He comes into the room and he goes, Howard, how are you? I'm like, whoa. Once again, perfect English. No, kind of a kind of a surprise in a French hospital. Long and short of it was, he said, I'm going to be watching over you and um, I want to assure you that everything's going to be okay, but you've got a long recovery ahead of you. Um, but I will always be around. And I said, great, great. I mean, he was so kind. And I said, so what's your name? And he said, oh, don't worry about that. He said, you will never see me again. And I said, you just said you're going to watch over me and you're going to see me through this whole recovery and you would never, you'd always be around and now you're telling me I'm never going to see you again. He said, yes, that's, that's all true. He said, I'll be around, but you'll never see me again. And I said, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. You know, are you going to be with me? He said, I will be with you. Always know I will be with you. And I said, I will never see you again. He said, you'll never see me again. And I said, very, very confusing. I don't understand. He said, now I have to go. So he left. The room went, when he left the room, the room went back down to drab. And I'm sitting there like, what was that? You know, what was that all about? Crazy. Immediately, the nurse comes into the room. And I said, who, what was the name of the doctor that was just here? And she said, there, there's nobody here. And I said, no, no, no. He, like the, the young doctor with the blonde hair and, you know, and the sneakers and stuff. You know, um, she said, there was nobody in the room. And I said, there was someone just in the room. He just left. You probably passed him coming in. And she said, my desk is right outside this door. I have been sitting at that desk for a long time. Nobody has been in this room or out of this room. And I said, no, you don't understand. There was this beautiful young man who was just here visiting me. She said, no one has been in this room. I have been right here by the door. Nobody has come in the room. And I said, well, you're wrong. And I got really upset. She got mad at me because I was arguing with her. I mean, her English wasn't that good. My, and I spoke very poor French. But anyways, we were having this argument. And she's like, she just, she just gave up on me. The thing that drives me crazy is that um, it's so simple. It's so easy to call out to God and have your life totally changed. And you can go from despair to joy. You can go from pain to bliss. You can find like all your problems aren't going to be solved immediately, but with the help of God, you will find the solutions to your problems. You know, you find, you find um, a way through all the difficulties of life and find a community of support through um, faith communities. It's like, and, and, and the thing is, is that um, in, in real churches, real, real synagogues, real temples, it's all free, no cost, no obligation. I mean, because you get a bunch of people just um, living to try and be helpful and supportive to someone. 
you would like to go a little bit deeper into his experience, I would highly recommend checking out his book, My Descent into Death. There are links in the description for the Audible version and the hard copy and Kindle version. So check that out if you would like.